0: And so it might be super speculative at first, like it might have zero return at first. But over the long run, that's really the only way to stop trading time for money.
1: Welcome to the FI show, where you get a behind the scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin.
2: Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Fi Show, but I could not be doing this thing by my lonesome, so let's check in with the co-host, Justin. What's up, man?
1: Well, I just got back from an entire week down in Mississippi, spending some time with the family, which was good, and uh, today I was out working with some folks in Hartford, Connecticut, so spending a lot of time on the road here lately. How about yourself, Cody?
2: So this past Friday, I actually flew down to Texas. I flew into Houston, hung out with my buddy for a couple of days. And then now I'm in Dallas with another friend. And I'm going to be here for another couple of days. So I'm having an eventful time down in old Tejas. It's definitely a lot warmer than Massachusetts. Well, Cody, speaking of
1: hot things, we definitely got some hot content today from Nick Loper, who comes from Side Hustle Nation. And today, he's going to give us like an complete overview of all these different side hustle things that you can do. I mean, there's so many different segments of the market and kind of how he got started. But let's not take all his thunder away. Take it away, Nick.
0: Oh my gosh, like I was into money early on and probably for, should I take that back? Like one of the earliest moments that I remember like really caring about money was when i didn't have any as a high school student (laughs) i remember like wanting to go to homecoming and being like wow shoot how much does it cost to rent a tux and all this stuff and that was kind of problematic and so i was looking at different ways that i could earn money and it became became a little bit more of an issue all of a sudden now that i had something to spend on
1: and you talk about like not having money in high school what was your upbringing like you know your parents did they have an entrepreneurial spirit or you know what was money like in the house
0: Mom and dad, and of course, looking back now, they were prototypical examples of what you might read about in The Millionaire Next Door. I believe they were better off than they let on, but they really hammered home this frugal mindset and instilled that both in, in my brother and in myself, where it was always, you know, money doesn't grow on trees. You got to work for it. And and looking back, and maybe that's just now that they're empty nesters and kind of nearing retirement. It seems like, oh, you guys seem to be doing pretty well now. But growing up, they didn't necessarily let on that that was the case and probably set us up pretty well to have an appreciation for those dollars.
2: And so let's kind of continue on this narrative arc. So you kind of have this frugality mindset. I know you mentioned you were going to look for the tux and going to prom or whatever in high school, and you didn't have a lot of money. When did the first kind of job or side hustle come into play?
0: One of the more formative jobs for me was in college. And that was a house painting internship through a company called College Works Painting. And there are a handful of these that operate all around the country, where they they come into your classroom and they pitch like you're going to learn entrepreneurship and sales and marketing and customer service, like, check, 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 check. Like, those all sound like really important skills. And what they don't tell you is that it's painting houses. And so you kind of go through this interview process and they kind of do this. It's kind of like a webinar where they don't tell you the price until the very end kind of a thing. And you're like, but you kind of bought in at that point. You're kind of like, okay, I I could do that or I could see myself doing that. And I go to my girlfriend, my who's now my wife. So we've been together forever. And because I'm like, I don't know, is this a pyramid scheme? Like, is this legit? Like, wh-? And she's like, look, it's three months of your life. If it sucks, it sucks. Like, it's not life-threatening. And... So again, you know, super supportive throughout all these crazy entrepreneurial ups and downs, but that was really important. And and something that stuck with me too. It's like, you know, for further experiments down the road, like if it works great, if it doesn't work, that's fine too. Like it doesn't really, it's, it's not life threatening. That was something that, that stuck with me. So they assign you a zip code. They say, it's your job to go out and paint as many houses in this territory as you can over the course of the summer. We're going to teach you how to estimate jobs. We're going to teach you how to do the painting. It's not rocket science. We're going to teach you how to hire and fire people and go out and deliver this work. And it was like my first taste of working for profits and not wages and had had a few jobs up to that point. But this was the real sense where it was like literally all on my shoulders and you know how profitable that job was. Was entirely on me, whether we screwed something up and spilled paint all over some customer's deck, that was entirely on me. And it was like a bunch of 19 year olds with paint sprayers. Like everything that can go wrong does go wrong, but you figure out how to work through it. And one of the formative moments was like at the end of the summer, the company posts on their like internal blog if you made it this far, we've probably ruined your life. (laughs) I'm like, well, that's interesting. I better click on that. And it went on to explain just that like you've had this taste and you're not, you're not going to be able to work for somebody else anymore. Like it's just not the same now that you've, you've experienced at least some level of success. If you made it this far and haven't dropped off along the way, like you are probably scarred for life in a good way. (laughs) (laughs) So while
1: you're in college, what was your major and at what point did you decide that that was true, that you
0: did want to become your own boss and you didn't want to work for someone else? So I studied business in college and had I not had the painting business to apply all these theoretical marketing and business classes to, like, it would have been just in one year and out the other. But instead, I'm sitting in class and thinking how I can apply this, like, this afternoon. Like, I can go out and apply this marketing idea right away. Whereas I think all my classmates didn't really have that immediate application. But after school, didn't have the idea, like, you know, the painting thing kind of run its course and didn't know what I was going to do as far as a business. Like I always had that kind of in the back of my mind. Like I want to eventually be working for myself, but didn't know what that was going to be yet. So I did take a corporate job, spent three years in corporate America while building my original side hustle, which was a comparison shopping site for footwear. So it's called shoesniper.com in its latest iteration. It was called shoesrs.net in its early days, which let that be a lesson to spend more than five minutes trying to think of a, a domain name. There was, it was 2005, 2006. Like, there were plenty of good dot coms still available. I don't know why I went with a, a net. But that was my first taste into online marketing and affiliate worlds and SEO and pay-per-click ads and all that stuff. And that was the vehicle that ultimately let me quit my job three years later. And that was my main business for a long time.
2: So I kind of want to get into the mindset of early Nick. So I'm guessing you're probably 22-ish when you started that shoe business? That's about right. So what was kind of the mindset? Because I know when I was doing my corporate job and all this stuff on the side, it was just like so overwhelming. I was working 16, 18-hour days because I desperately wanted to escape corporate. Was it kind of the same thing for you where you
0: knew like, I want to get out as fast as possible and you're building that side hustle up? Or was
2: it something different?
0: I don't know if I necessarily had that same sense of urgency because it wasn't that I, you know, hated corporate life or hated that work. It was just something I didn't see myself staying at long-term and climbing the ladder. For me, at least during certain parts of this, it was really consistent. Whereas like, come home from work, go to the gym, you know, make dinner, clean up. And then like from seven to 10 was like side hustle time. And that was really consistent while I was working in the office. When I was working out in the field, it would be really similar, like, except just doing it from a hotel room. And it was had the advantage, or some could call it an advantage, of having been moved across the country, like far away from friends and family and my girlfriend at the time, where it was like, it had all this extra time. And it was like, I could sit here and play Halo, or I could watch TV and stuff. But it was like, this was something that I felt like I could work towards and build something meaningful, or at least at least meaningful enough for me to make some money from it and be a vehicle towards freedom.
1: What did the growth look like? And Kind of what was your mark to say, okay, now I can step away and do this full-time. Did you actually wait until the site was making as much money as you were making at your normal job or, you know, what made you feel confident enough that it was time to take it full-time?
0: I was making around 50 grand a year as my salary in this kind of entry-level marketing position. And I don't think the site was quite to that point. And I wanted to see like a track record of revenue history, like going back six or 12 months. So it wasn't like, this could all disappear tomorrow kind of a thing at least have proven out the concept a little bit. So I don't think it had fully replaced my salary, but I think it, well, I'm confident that it had at least made enough over the course of the last six or 12 months to cover my expenses. And with that, I was reasonably confident, hey, with an extra 40, 50 hours a week, I could get it to that level and beyond.
2: So as young Nick Loper, I know there's kind of two types of entrepreneurs that I've met. There's the entrepreneur who is just about like, okay, let's say a million, five million, ten million million, 10 million in sales, don't care about frugality, don't really care about the personal finance aspect. I'm just going to take a shot in the dark and kind of say you still held on to those frugal roots. So were you still saving like a crap ton of money while you were pursuing the side hustle and working the full-time job? Or were you kind of balling out with all the side hustle money?
0: Not Not exactly <laughs> balling out. Because you never know, like a dollar today doesn't always mean a dollar tomorrow. So it's hard to justify like, you know, going going crazy with it. Probably would have made some different choices in that time, especially as it relates to, you know, housing and living expenses in that sense. But, you know, you know, there's nothing extravagant <laughs> by, by like, you know, buying extra cars and, and stuff like that.
1: And at what point, because I could imagine like, you know, you've started this up, it's making really good money as a as a side hustle, it turns into be your full time thing. But once you get that built up, I'm sure it starts becoming somewhat automated, it's kind of running itself. Like, how long did it take before you? are Like, I need to add another one of these, like, I need to add another website or another whatever it is.
0: It took a while, actually. So I remember being at a con because I was just happy, like, naively thinking, like, I could, I could sell shoes, like, this could be my thing for for a long time. And just, you know, as a background, if people aren't familiar with affiliate marketing, so it's basically selling other people's products or services or helping sell other people's products or services online. And in my case, the site would earn commission from Zappos and Amazon and these other online shoe stores if somebody bought through the site or after somebody clicked on that link. And I was at this conference and the guy gets up on the stage and he talks about the importance of working on your business and not in your business. And at that time, I was very much in the business all day long. I had this really cool, like, treadmill desk where I could, like, you know, walk along and, you know, just knock out 10 miles a day. Like, that would not be abnormal. And just, like, be making Google ads and listening to music. And, like, that was fine. But he was like, no, 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 you need to be working on your business. And that was really my first experience in trying to hire some help for this and trying to, like, create systems and processes. And ended up going to this company in Pakistan. Because, first of all, like, I thought about you know, going to my local community college and trying to find some help over there. And it's like, well, I don't want necessarily this person to come over and start working at my kitchen table. Like, I want to be able to go to the gym in the middle of the day. A, it was a weird thing. So that turned me to the world of virtual assistants. And that turned me to this company in, in Pakistan and started working with this guy. I remember it was 800 or $850 a month where he would be my full-time employee out of Karachi, Pakistan. He was working the night shift over there. And he joked that he like knew more about women's shoes than anybody else in Karachi. And it was just a fascinating lens into this completely opposite culture, other side of the world. It was really, really eye-opening. He was awesome to to work with. But that was my first taste of being kind of a virtual manager. And in terms of like creating systems and processes for stuff that was in my head, I've been doing it for years. And so I would be I would get frustrated when he like wouldn't pick it up as fast. And it's like, no, this is kind of my fingers, no, like instinctively like how to fly over the keyboard. And he's just learning this for the first time. So it's an interesting learning experience, probably for both of us.
2: So I have three questions just because we like to keep it tactical on the Fi Show. And so the first two you skimmed over, you said a speaker at a conference. Who is the speaker and what conference was this? Because it sounded like this is something that impacted your business for the rest of your life.
0: Oh my goodness. I don't remember who the speaker was. It was either at an affiliate summit or at a commission junction university. Okay.
2: Sorry, it doesn't matter who the speaker was. Okay. I guess we can move on to the the last question. That was my two first questions. For someone who is looking, because we do have a lot of people who are into side hustling, into making money outside of their day job, and they might have a day job, so they want to do some automation. Do you remember the name of the website or how you got connected with this guy in Pakistan? And if there are any other cool resources that people could check out today?
0: Sure. This was through a service called Time Saver. It's called TimeSVR.com, which I think is still around. This was like 2008, 2009. So they they... Their business model may have changed a little bit, but actually my search for him actually led to a second side hustle of mine called virtual assistant com. It's like Yelp for outsourcing companies because my question was like, which of these companies are legit, especially these overseas companies? Like, how does it all work? And so put together this review platform, kind of like a directory and review site for these different outsourcing services and virtual assistant services. So Time Saver is definitely still on there. Again, I'm not sure how active they are, but dozens and dozens of other companies with probably thousands of user reviews at this point over there, if you want to check that out. And to get that site up and running, were you actually
1: going out and reviewing some of these companies yourself just to get it started before other people kind of chimed in and started doing their own reviews?
0: Yeah. So it was a lot of me testing them out. It was a lot of me trolling people on Twitter for mentions of the specific company names and then reaching out to people it was reaching out to people who had blogged about certain companies. Hey, would you mind dropping in a review? It was a lot of hustle to get those first initial reviews. And of course, once the companies kind of found that this site started to, you know, rank well in Google and it was like kind of cleanly put together, they started feeding their own customers, hey, at least they're happy ones, like, hey, you know, would you mind going in and dropping a review for us over here? And so that kind of has bolstered it over time. And you can see there's some some companies that have a really well-established profile over there.
2: So as we move forward, I know we're going to get into some other side hustles that you may have tampered with in the past, but I'm kind of just curious about like, the catalyst for some of these side hustles. So were you, so you obviously had this sneaker business and then you had this virtual assistant assistance business. Would you say that most of your side hustles stem from some kind of fascination or obsession? Like, were you like a sneaker head or is it more like the game of side hustling? Cause I'm sure you weren't like passionate about virtual assistants. You weren't like pumped when you were six years old thinking about virtual assistants. (laughs) So like which one of those is kind of like the catalyst for new ventures and new
0: businesses? Well, the shoe business is a perfect example. Like no interest in shoes. I was probably one of my own worst customer, like not a <laughs> sneakerhead. Like that's not, that's not me. What was exciting about the business was the process of optimization and like trying to figure out how to drive traffic and make that profitable and optimize. Like that stuff was really, really cool. And like adding new brands and like trying to figure out all of like all of that, stuff. like all the backend business stuff, the product could have been anything with the virtual assistant stuff, it did kind of stem from an interest of mine or at least something that I had some experience in. You know, obviously not an undying passion or anything, but it was something that I could write about or at least could could speak the language a little bit. And that's kind of the interesting thing because I get that question a lot. Like, you know, what, what should I do for my side hustle? Should I follow my passion? And the crazy thing is, and this is backed up by research from Cal Newport and Dan Pink, is like passion usually follows doing the thing, not the other way around. So like, I'm super passionate about the keto diet or fitness or yoga or whatever. Like, okay, that might be great. And that might be hard to build a business around. Like take podcasting, for example, like I had zero passion for podcasting when I started the Side Hustle Show in 2013. Six years later, six and a half years later, I'm super passionate about podcasting because I've been doing it for six years. Like it's become like my baby. It's like become a creative outlet for me. And so we see that over and over again like even with painting like my wife would tell you like we would walk past houses during the painting days and I'd be up looking under the eaves and you know oh that's a paint job waiting to happen look they're gonna have to scrape under there and it's the same I think it's the same thing with a lot of different businesses I don't know curious for you guys like with the podcast or some of the other businesses you're involved in, did it start passion first or like here's something I can do and then the passion follows
2: for me, I think it's kind of a mix. I've had both businesses where I started because I was passionate about the thing that the business is kind of built around and then other businesses where I'm just like obsessed with the optimization and stuff once I dove in. Like I kind of just started the podcast on a whim and now I love it. I mean, it's, it's super fun. Justin and I have connected with like thousands of people and it's super cool. I'm sure you get the same, you get all these reader emails and all these cool messages and stuff, but you're right. It never would have been like a as much of a passion if you didn't just kind of jump in and start. Yeah, I started Saving Sherpa
1: the blog because I was passionate about this journey towards financial independence. And I wanted to like share that with some of my friends. And that kind of spun into, because of that, you know, meeting Cody and thinking about starting a podcast. And after that, you know, starting the podcast, which became an awesome thing. And it has become a passion of mine. And it is awesome to get to meet all these people. But it all did seed from the passion of financial independence. But I guess a question I would have back to you, Nick, is, you know, you maybe tell people, hey, it's not always going to be a passion that leads to the side hustle. And you also mentioned that the shoe website could have been anything. But what do you tell people, like tactically, when they're trying to find maybe what they should attack, as far as even if it's not a website, whatever the side hustle is, if they're trying to discover, like, hey, I don't think any of my passions make sense for a side hustle, but I still want to do one? Like, is there tips and tricks for those kind of brainstorming sessions?
0: Sure. So, one of the best frameworks or one of my favorite frameworks that I've heard this described actually comes from Scott Adams from Dilbert, where he says to take, you know, the areas in your life and look for areas where you're in the, you know, top 50th percentile or top 25th percentile. And he gave the example of I'm a decent artist, I can draw. I, I'm not the world's best artist, but I can draw, okay? And I think I'm pretty funny, right? Like I'm funnier than the average guy. So, I'm going to combine those two to, you know, make this long long running super successful comic strip. But it's like the the sweet spot often lies in, you know, combining two or more of those factors where you're better than average. And so I'm trying to think of like areas from my own life, like one of the side hustles that I was running a few years ago was some freelance book editing, where it's like, hey, you know, I was a decent student in English, you know, I can barely form a sentence today. <laughs> I, was, like, I, I write okay, I write well, I, I talk good. On top of that, I had written a handful of books myself at that point, or at least at least a couple. And so I was like, okay, I'm kind of familiar with this process. And then as far as like interest, like this was something that I enjoyed doing in my spare time anyways, like I like to read self-improvement and business books. And so I was like, niche down service to say, I will proofread and edit your nonfiction book. And then later, like, I really just want to read these, you know, business type of books because that's where I feel like I can add the most value, the most input. So that was an example of kind of a sweet spot service for me. So was
2: there anything in between? I know you mentioned we're kind of just playing with dates here. The Side Hustle Show started in 2013, and that is your podcast. And Virtual Assistant Assistant, like what year was that? And was there anything, any crazy ventures in between?
0: That was 2011 when that started. So it has been running for, for quite a while. And it has always been, you know, a very part-time type of endeavor. And there were a handful of other websites that kind of died a slow, quiet death in the corner of the internet somewhere. It was actually a wine-related site. That led me to the virtual assistant site in kind of a roundabout way, but it goes to show, you know, the most frequently cited advice that I turned to from a guest on the Side Hustle Show came from Ryan Finley in episode 72, where he said, the best opportunities aren't visible until you're already in motion, which at the time I was like, this is kind of hippy dippy advice, but I have seen it to be true like 100% of the time, like in in so many examples. So in the case of the wine site, like here I am like researching my crappy has no business existing wine site. Like I know nothing about wine. Like it's just regenerated like me too content. Like no reason to click on this site. While I'm researching that site, I, f- I come across this other like this guy who's like reviewing different wine clubs as an affiliate. Like here, this wine club costs 30 bucks a month, you know, click over here to buy. This wine club, you know, comes with this, this and this. Five stars, click over here to buy. Like this is a really cool business model. Like, what could, <laughs> how could I pivot that to something else, something that I hopefully know more about? That was the origin of the of the virtual assistant review site. It's like, oh, and the design has changed a dozen times since then. So I could say this, but like the first version of the site, like I took to the developer on ODesk, like build me this, except like change the change the words basically, and that's exactly what you he, here customize this template to look like that, and it was off to the races.
1: You talk about this wine site that you know, led you to an opportunity, but it wasn't that successful itself. And you also mentioned earlier in the episode, like, hey, you know, you just gotta experiment with things. If it if it doesn't work out, it's not the end of the world. But what do you think is a kind of a good sign to say, I've tried this long enough, it's time to quit and go back to the drawing board and start up another side hustle?
0: When you come to dread the work is my typical answer for that. And so um, there's been a handful of projects where and you've probably seen the, you know, the the meme where the guy is like digging for diamonds and he's like, oh, he's so close. And Then he turns around. It's like, you just never know. You are that close to hitting it. It's like, if you are dreading the act of mining now, it's like, turn around. Like, it's not worth it. That's been the case for me, you know, where the either the revenue no longer justifies the effort and you don't really see a path forward such that it can get there. I mean, that's where I've thrown in the towel on on a bunch of different projects.
2: So that brings me to a related question, and it's kind of like where luck is where preparation and opportunity meet, you know, that saying. So in terms of a side hustle, like how much is it just kind of jumping in and doing stuff per se versus like kind of formulating a game plan and saying, this is where I want to start. This is where I want to be in one year from now. This is where I want to be in five years from now.
0: I will admire the people who have that, you know, one, three and five year plan But it it can be a trap too. Like if you're kind of still sitting on the sidelines waiting for that perfect moment to take action or for that perfect business plan to kind of formulate in your mind, like you might not ever take that first step. And where I see from people being successful interviewees on the show and, and elsewhere, people in the community, it's like what they start today may not be what they're working on a year from now. And choosing what's next doesn't necessarily mean choosing what's forever, but that act of taking that first step is hugely important. And I mean, like I said, like I started out painting houses, had no idea, you know, where that would lead, but like that really bit me with the entrepreneurial bug. And I think that happens for so, so many people. While you're going
1: through all of this, you've got a couple of successful websites, you've started the podcast. Did you have an ultimate goal in mind? And when I say that, like, was it, I want to make X amount of dollars per year and then I'm good. I don't need to start anymore. Or is it? Once I hit this nest egg, I'm just going to hit it hard for this many years. No matter how many side hustles it takes, then I'm going to stop. Did you have any goals or any points where you're like, once I get there, I'm going to either stop doing more or I'm going to start slowing them down or just
2: kind of cutting back? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis in my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth. One dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash FiShow. Now back to the show.
0: We haven't hit that yet. If there is, if there is that such a thing, I haven't really entered in with any concrete goals in mind, especially with the podcast. Like that's a perfect example of starting something without a business model in mind. It was like, this is something that sounds cool. Or this is something that honestly there was peer pressure to do. Like, oh, you got to have a podcast. Like, okay, um, I guess I'll order a mic and watch some videos on how to actually do this. (laughs) It was, the crazy thing is like the Side Hustle Show has been life-changing for me. Like it's, you just totally started as this part-time experiment when I started, I didn't realize you needed separate media hosting. And I thought, well, iTunes will host the file. Like, I don't know how it worked. It was $15 a month for Libsyn, liberated syndication. Had it been 25 or 30, like the show might not exist because like, well, what am I committing myself to? What am I signing myself up for? Where it's like, okay, 15 bucks. Okay. I can swing that. Like that seems reasonable, like to throw on this experiment and see what happens. And then I found out that I really liked doing it and started to see some traction from it. So I was like, okay, this is something that I can keep going. And actually within a year and a half, it was really the main focus as the shoe business was kind of winding down.
2: So a lot of people do know you from the Side Hustle Show, Nick. I know you have thousands of listeners. And so I kind of want to dive into Side Hustles a little bit. And I'm sure you've heard so many, you've heard thousands of different stories, thousands of different Side Hustles but I heard you, I don't remember exactly what podcast it was on. You broke them down into different silos or different tiers. Could you just talk about that a little bit and kind of like the different skill sets and the different types of side hustles there are?
0: Sure. So I would consider the big three business models, and this applies to large businesses, small businesses, side hustles, any type of business. So the big three business models that I see are selling a service, selling a product, and then selling an audience or building you know, an audience-based business such as Google or Facebook, Right. So selling a service is where probably the majority of people start just because there's no startup costs, there's no inventory, there's no products to build. It's just, okay, what problem can I go out and solve? Can I mow lawns? Can I walk dogs? Can I paint houses? Can I build websites? Can I run Facebook ads? Whatever it is, that's where so many people start. And it again, choosing what's next doesn't mean choosing what's forever. And there's lots of ways to scale a service business, but... It's that kind of that, that first step of saying, okay, I have worth in the world outside of what it says on my business card, outside of what it says on my paycheck, and here's proof that somebody else would pay me for this.
1: And tactically within one of those sections, what is a side hustle out there that you think is not getting you know enough love, not enough people are thinking about that's maybe a good opportunity for some people?
0: Oh my gosh. And specifically in the service space, the idea of branding fragmented services or fragmented industries is... I think, huge right now. And we've seen some people having a ton of success with it, even going back a generation. Like 1-800-GOT-JUNK is probably the prime example of this. Whereas like, here's a kind of a sweaty startup idea. It's like not the most glamorous thing, but, you know, by building a consistent customer experience, by building a brand around junk hauling, like they become kind of a household name. A guest of mine last summer, Chris Schwab, started a service called Think Maids, like a residential cleaning service in the Washington D.C. area, and he, st- he started this when he was still uh, in college and had grown it to sixty grand a month in top line revenue within two years without ever, you know, going out and you know mopping a floor himself, which to me was awesome. And how he discovered this niche was like just looking through Yelp reviews. And what he told me was like nobody was complaining about the cleaning itself. They were complaining I couldn't get anybody on the phone. It took three different back and forth to to get a quote. I didn't know when these people were coming out. And he's like, "All this administrative stuff, shoot, I could do that. I could find people to do the cleaning. That's not rocket science." And so he, you know, built this business where there was no clear, you know, market share leader regionally or nationally and said, "Okay, I can with a better customer interface, better customer experience, I can, you know, compete in this super commoditized, decades-old business. I think that's super important.
2: I'm so glad you asked that question, Justin, and you answered it that way, Nick, because I've been shot down by so many like quote-unquote gurus and older people who are like, you have to have the most differentiated product or most differentiated idea. But I think just kind of twisting your angle and looking at the market a little bit differently, that's where some of the most successful businesses come from. Like obviously this kid didn't invent cleaning. (laughs) Right? We all know that, but he looked at the market like a little bit differently and now he's crushing it. Like I think that's just so, so important and something that a lot of wannabe and like I'm your guru entrepreneurs tell you, you need like this million dollar idea. I I really love that you just said that, Nick.
0: Well, it's like, stop waiting around for, you know, this inspiration never been done before idea. It was like, here's just a slightly different take on a business that's been around for years. Like, look, there's already proven demand. You know, people are spending money on it. Like it's super easy to do competitive research and just, you know, come in with a fresh face. And I don't know, there's, I see a ton of opportunity like that, both in person, you know, kind of these sweaty startups, like these type of local service businesses and online, like one of the virtual assistant services is called Belay Solutions. And they've been on the Inc. 5000 list for like the last four or five years. Just by doing this same thing, like virtual assistants have been around since the dawn of the internet, but it's a really fragmented space, like, you know, solo operators, work from home mom type of business owners. And they said, like, look, we can come in, we'll put our, you know, management layer in place, we'll put our vetting process in place. And in return, we can charge like a really premium price for that. So they've done, they've done really, really well.
1: And Nick, you've obviously become somewhat of an, you know, an expert on all these side hustles. You interview a lot of people about it. Do you actually go beyond that
0: to the point to where you're kind of coaching people one-on-one on getting side hustles going? I used to. I try not to anymore because I found it really stressed me out. Like that direct dollar per hour exchange was like, ah, I don't know. I felt like, you know, we had to have some killer breakthrough after at the end of every session. But that was a larger piece of the business several years ago and has become less so today. If somebody like really insists on having a call, like we can set that up, but I <laughs> try, try and avoid it if I can.
2: Well, it seems like you're definitely a scalable thinker. That's something I definitely admire about entrepreneurs, someone who can, I think the most successful entrepreneurs are those who can like find arbitrage in just kind of like that that guy who you're just talking about. They can be like the liaison or the middleman between what you called like the service provider people and then the people who need those services done. And that's like the easiest way by far to scale a business to, I mean, as big as you want it, I guess.
0: Yeah. One example also in the online space was Design Pickle from Russ Perry. When I talked to him, he was like, Nick, the truth is I sucked at design. And here's a service that offers like unlimited graphic design. And so the traditional freelance path would be like, I will do graphic design for you. And then like, I will hire a team to do graphic design for you and, you know, start this agency. Like he skipped that whole step in the middle. And so did Chris with the cleaning business. I was like, no, it was never about them doing the work. It's like, I will connect you with the people who are awesome at this service and I can scale it from there.
1: Okay, so we've we've went through the services part of the industry a good bit. What about the product side that you mentioned?
0: Man, the easiest product business to start is just like a buy low, sell high business model. I mean, this is the same business model as Walmart and any store in history has used. But you can go actually to Walmart and use the little scanner app, the Amazon seller app to see what items are selling for online versus what they are in the store. And I had to go do this myself because when I first heard this, I was like, this makes no sense. Like in the era of big data, like how has how Walmart not figured this out? How have the Walmart employees not figured this out? Like it just didn't make sense. But sure enough, like there was profit in those aisles. And so that's one, you know, super easy way to, you know, kind of buy low, sell high. One of my favorite stories is like the flea market flipper, who you guys probably met at FinCon. Robin, Melissa are just awesome people. And like their stories about The random, random products that they find to resell are really entertaining. So if nothing else, worth following for that case. What else is interesting on the physical product side is what's kind of become possible in the realm of, call them like hybrid products, like they're physical products, but you don't necessarily have to touch inventory for them. So one example that my wife and I have been playing around with for the past few years is like this idea of print on demand merch, like come up with a clever t-shirt saying or come up with some clever t-shirt design and like platforms like amazon and redbubble and now even with some integrations like you could sell this stuff on etsy will do the full printing and shipping and fulfillment stuff for you and all you ever touched was like this digital file and like that to me is like totally passive totally hands-off like that's really exciting stuff the problem is i think there's very little barrier to entry for somebody like if you come up with a hot selling design like it's going to get ripped off pretty quick. So you got to constantly be be innovating or have your own traffic sources, but it's pretty fun.
2: And the last one you did not touch on, and I know you do have several of these, and it's probably my favorite product is digital products, like just straight up digital products, not the hybrid you're
0: talking about. So could you talk about that for a little bit? Right. So a digital product would be in the ebook realm, the software realm, the online course realm. And as you know, there are people just making insane amounts of money with online courses and even with all these other products. The bulk of my experience in this space is, and I've tried all three, well, not software really, but definitely the eBooks and courses where it's like you're kind of bundling up your knowledge into you know, an easily digestible way. Like, okay, what's the transformation somebody is going to get out of this? And you can sell that through a platform in like the eBook case, like you sell that on a platform like Kindle through Amazon or in the online course world, you could sell it through a platform like Udemy, I just got off the phone this afternoon with a Udemy instructor who is doing like 40 grand a month with his Udemy courses. I was like, wait, 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 a month, you know? (laughs) Or you could go through the route of like hosting that yourself, building your own funnels, like attracting your own audience with your own content and saying, okay, you've had a taste, you know, if you want the full meal deal, like I teach that all in my course. And there's some people doing extremely well with that model.
2: So the last model we did not talk about, and this is building an audience, and this kind of plays well into like podcasting. I see a lot of podcasters, especially in our space, who have done a tremendous job of this. And could you just talk about that whole business
0: model and how it works? Sure. So I've had lots of side hustles in all three of these, but this is where I've spent the bulk of my attention because I think it's the most flexible and I think it's probably the easiest to scale. So the audience business, at least in my case, usually drives revenue from advertising drives revenue from affiliate relationships or you could also sell your own products and services to that audience once you have that once you have it it becomes really really flexible so same thing like in the beginning i was you know driving an audience through google ads to the footwear website you know i was driving audience through google organic traffic to the virtual assistant site and driving affiliate clicks same thing to a certain extent with the podcast like earning exposure you know it's <laughs> the long slow slog of 6 years of podcasting Right. Like to build up an audience that now justifies earning advertising revenue that earns affiliate offers through the, the website. But it's very much an audience based business where it's like if there are people paying attention, that means there's revenue opportunities to both serve that audience and, you know, serve spot- like there's win wins to serve everybody.
1: That's awesome. I mean, just we've had a couple of people on who, you know, are into side hustles and it's it's so cool just to see how many different variations they are. And I'm sure as someone with the podcast, you've just got to interview people from every sector and just hear some really, you know, interesting ideas and kind of keep us fresh and give us that full breadth of knowledge of all the different opportunities that are out there for people. But obviously we weren't able to cover every single kind of side hustle that you can imagine. And if people want to do that, they want to cover more side hustles and they just want to get to know more about you, where's the best place for them to do that?
0: Oh my gosh, there's a monster list of side hustle ideas at sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. No opt-in required over there. There is hopefully, my goal at the end of that page, you got eight or 10 different browser tabs open. You're like, I could do that, I could do that, I could do that. And of course, we'd love to have you tune into the Side Hustle Show as well, available in every podcast app that's out there. So appreciate the opportunity to have you dive deeper into this extra money-making world. (laughs) Yes, there's never a dull moment.
2: And Nick, one thing we like to ask all of our guests is, what is your number one tip for those people who are on the path to financial independence? So,
0: number one tip would be to allocate a percentage of your time to call them passive income projects or a percentage of your time to some time-leveraged projects. And so it might be super speculative at first, like it might have zero return at first, but over the long run, that's really the only way to stop trading time for money. And the example that I'll give you is a guest on the show who started his side hustle was repairing motorcycles in his garage. Mechanical engineer, put an ad on Craigslist, like, I'll fix your bike. And he was doing that, turning wrenches, making an hourly wage on the side that he was happy with. His stroke of genius was beginning to film himself doing those repairs, putting those videos up on YouTube, beginning to build an audience. Now he can sell those videos, like full engine rebuild videos. When we first connected, he was making like a thousand bucks a month. And that was split between turning wrenches time and like selling these digital products. Three years later, it was like 99% time leveraged through YouTube ads, affiliate stuff, video sales, sponsored content, and like 1%. Like, okay, one one random customer had a bike that I was interested in filming a video. So I said yes to it. And it was like, had he not done that from the very beginning, even though it was like taking time away that he could have been spent, you know, earning money, like he never would have had the business that he has today. And on top of that, it's grown five times. So he's doing like five grand a month now. And it's almost completely time leveraged. So if you don't allocate a little bit of your day, a little bit of your week toward these more speculative, quote, passive income projects, nobody else is going to do it for you.
1: Love that idea. And now for the last question of the day, the one that you're 100% not prepared for, no matter how many side hustles you got going on. It is the wild card question. You ready? Oh, geez. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I want to I leave this one pretty broad for you, but I just want to hear like, What is the most ridiculous side hustle thing you ever tried to do? I don't care if it failed miserably or if it was successful. Just what was the craziest thing you ever tried to do to make money?
0: I had a post like in the early days about like my side hustle failures. So I'm trying to think like, what did I write about in there? One thing I tried to do really early on and had no experience, like how websites make money or anything like this. was like, I tried to write like an open source novel, where it's like I would write the first chapter and it was kind of like this dystopian future type of novel and then you know my idea was to like tee it up and have the crowd like you know this crowdsourcing wisdom like you know fill in the rest of this book because i i had this you know starter idea but i had no idea where this book was going to go and of course had no audience had no idea how to attract an audience had no idea where to find (laughs) writers online and so it just died after chapter one and it was kind of this sad thing that never went anywhere what else? One of the bad ones, one of the more expensive ones, was trying to replicate the shoe business success in a similar vertical. So I'd go to these affiliate conferences, and everybody, uh, you know, a lot of my advertisers also sold like handbags and luggage, and they're like, you know, why don't you start selling handbags and luggage? And I'm like, well, the site the site is called Shoe Sniper, like it's not going to work. So I spun off this other site called Carry My Stuff or something. It's like carrymystuff.com. Again, not the world's best domain. And it cost like five grand to develop, even though we're able to use a lot of the back end systems and stuff that we had built. What we found was like the commission rates were lower. The product naming standardizations were weird. It was like really hard just to develop like good algorithms and good like comparison pages for this stuff. The breadth of stores carrying this stuff was 10 times wider. And so it was like just churning through millions of rows of data to come back with like the 1% of stuff that was relevant to us. It was a mess that really could have been saved had I done even just a tiny bit more research up front.
2: I have your post up here, Nick, and the ones you're missing are selling my Atlanta condo, the virtual seller slash one gifts three sixty five, a sandal site, and then you mentioned the handbag site and then gift ideas for dot us. <laughs> oh my
0: gosh, this was gonna be good. This was gonna. Be, I was like pumped about this one. It's like. This is where you need to like remove the GoDaddy app from your phone until you stop like registering domains. (laughs) Before I even had a sense of like how content marketing and blogging really worked, I had this awesome idea for giftideas.us. So it'd be like gift ideas for us, like slash teachers or gift ideas for us, like slash nurses or whatever, right? Like it was going to rank really well and it was going to make all this affiliate money from Amazon and stuff. But then I realized like, I suck at shopping and I don't, I'm like the worst person to coming up with gift ideas. <laughs> and I was like, didn't want to hire people to write this content because it was like unproven. So it was like that one just kind of died in the water too.
2: All right, Nick. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. I've been a longtime listener of your show. So it was super cool to kind of pick your brain about side hustles on the Fi show. So again, just thank you so much for your time today, man. You bet. Man, Justin, another great episode. I'm so glad we had Nick on. I've actually been listening to his podcast for several years now. I've had so many cool side hustle ideas populate into my mind from listening to his show. And now having him on our show and talking about side hustles through the financial independence lens was a really cool thing. What do you think about it, man? Yeah, I think there was a couple of cool things. I mean, it's one part I loved was just kind of going through all the different
1: side hustles that are out there, especially the part where we talked about how you don't necessarily have to come up with this brand new. You're kind of creating some new market type of idea. I mean, he had a friend who saw that there was a need for just a more reputable company doing house cleaning. You know, something's been around
2: forever and how that really grew into a full-time job. And another cool thing that Nick did, aside from like giving us specific side hustles, you can start is he kind of broke them down into different segments. So obviously you have like your Uber or your freelance writing where you're literally trading your time for money on a linear basis. Like you're getting X amount of dollars for X amount of service or whatever thing you're doing. Or then there's like selling your own product where it can be scalable. It's not exactly trading your own time for money. And then the third one, and Nick says, this is one where he has a lot of experience and he has been wildly successful is building an audience. And then after you build your audience, you can figure out ways where you can add value to that audience and begin to monetize. So he kind of broke it down and showed side hustles through these three different lenses. And it kind of just gives you a better idea. Like, okay, this is a side hustle where I can get some quick cash, but it might not be scalable. This is a side hustle that may take years to build up, but I won't be making anything from the start. So it just gives you the tools to think about side hustles in a different mindset.
1: Yeah, from Nick's, you know, own personal experience, it seemed like he did most of kind of that last one, which is building that audience, like getting eyeballs on something, whether it's, you know, selling ads, affiliate link type sales. The thing that I thought was kind of cool was it didn't mean that you had to be an expert in that field or to be something that you were super passionate about for it to work. I mean, his first website was about Helping somebody decide what shoes to wear. And he admitted, like, he's not a sneakerhead. Like, he doesn't know a lot about shoes. He doesn't have a ton of shoes. It's not really his thing, but he just saw a need out there and a way to capitalize on an audience and make revenue out of it. But then he also admitted that, you know, he tried to replicate that into a different market with like handbags and how that just failed miserably. So there is also some just experimentation out there where you may not have a passion in it. You may not be the most knowledgeable, but just like, give it a shot. Doesn't work. Give a different segment a shot. And you can just keep iterating on it until finally something will stick.
2: I really love how you brought that up, Justin, because I was actually surprised, and I love that Nick said this. He kind of treats side hustles like a game. Like, he likes the actual hunt. He likes the thrill of figuring out which side hustle is going to work and which one's not. Like, he doesn't have any emotional attachment to the side hustles he started from the start. He just kind of went out and tried to see, hey, which of these businesses can I make money? And he like had fun doing search engine optimization, running ads, figuring out how he could dial in on a certain target market. It was just a really cool way to see how Nick actually thought about these side hustles. He's just someone who genuinely enjoys the game of figuring out what makes money and what doesn't. Yeah, Cody. And what really freaked me out was.
1: Whoa. What is it, Justin? It's that call to action, Cody. And this week, the call to action is a pretty simple one for you to do, but this is going to be just like a great brainstorming exercise. And we'll put the link in the show notes, but just go out to Nick's website and he's got this list of over a hundred different side hustle ideas. Scroll through there as you see one that seems interesting. Open up a Google tab, you know, go to that service or, you know, make a note and just make your way through that list until you have a few ideas and start to try out some of these side hustles.
2: Love that, Justin. Side hustles are awesome. It's a great way to get out of debt build extra income. There's so many things you can do once you build a source of income outside of that W2 job. And if you guys want to hear more about Nick, you want to read the detailed show notes showing everything that we talked about in this episode, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash Nick. And if you want to join one of the most inclusive, awesome, fun Facebook communities out there talking about everything personal finance, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash community. And as always, we thank you so much for listening to the podcast. If you've been enjoying the episodes up to this point, please leave that five-star rating and a review if you're feeling extra nice. It helps us get more great guests like Nick and keep the show going. Thanks for listening. See you on next week's episode of The Fi Show.